In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three and One who comes in order to assure us that we have been given great gifts that we are able to use. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, a lot of us are pretty familiar with this parable, and, and, uh, and in some ways it sort of feels like a wrong to end this one uh, with, this is the gospel of the Lord. Because at the end of this, uh, end of this parable, you, you have the servant who is cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then we end that up with, uh, with, with uh, this is the gospel of the Lord, the gospel that is supposed to be the thing that frees us from the law. And, and yet, uh, so much about this parable seems to just bind us to some sense of, of law, some sense of, you know, you've been given something great, now go and do something with it. And by the way, I'm coming back, and it had better be double. And, and so there, there's kind of this sense of uh, this reading and that reading from Zephaniah that is very doom and gloom. And even the, the, the psalm from Moses where, where he's talking about, uh, you know, what the end of your life should end up looking like. And in and, uh, and, and Thessal Thessalonians, how your life should look now that you know that Jesus Christ is coming. We have all of those readings and all of those readings seem to put a little bit of pressure on us that we've been giving given great things and we know that we have been given great things and yet at the same time we're kind of afraid that we are a poor steward that we're not to be trusted with great things there's this great story about the master marketer, Seth Godin. And Seth, as he was training in terms of being a marketer, he had a marketing professor who had him and his class go out to area McDonald's stores. And he had them do this, this weird thing in order to prove a point. He said, I want you to go to a McDonald's store and I want you to buy a milkshake and a Big Mac. And I want you to take those things after you purchase them and I want you to sit down and I want you to eat half of the Big Mac and I want you to eat and I want you to drink half of the milkshake. And after you do those things, I want you to take your half of your Big Mac and put it into the half of the milkshake. And I want you to take that back up to the counter and I want you to say, I can't eat this milkshake there's a Big Mac in it. Now, the thing that the marketing professor knew was something about McDonald's. He knew that McDonald's had this level of trust in its cash register operators that was kind of the level of trust that it appears that we should have given to uh, the, the very last servant. In fact, McDonald's had it on its policy that if anybody brought up a meal like that, that the, the cash register operator was just to give that person their money back no matter what. Because it was easier to train that cash register operator to just give somebody the $3 or $4 back rather than to train them to act like a manager in that situation. 
And that's really kind of the difference in the three servants that we see here is, is that two of them are acting like managers and, and another one is, is just acting like he, he's a cash register operator. He, he's just acting on, on what he feels will get him in the least amount of trouble. He, he's not going to put himself in, in a situation where he's able uh, to risk anything. And, uh, and, and that's kind of an amazing thing for the amounts that we're talking about here. So we're talking about talents. A talent during this time was roughly about 20 years of, uh, of, of labor. It, it was about 20 years worth of six days of labor for the average person. So the average person uh, gained a denarius for every day of worker, uh, every day of work. And if you multiply that out uh, over, uh, over 20 years minus one day in each of those weeks, you end up with roughly what it meant to have a talent. And so doing kind of the mathematics and, and the figuring here, we are talking about uh, the first servant getting about 100 years worth of money. He's, he's getting about a generation's worth of money. He, he's getting an inheritance in this, a very good inheritance from somebody who saved well. And the second servant is getting about 40 years worth of, inher- of money that he is uh, able to work with. And the Servant who gets one talent is not getting chump chains. He's getting 20 years worth of money for that time. And if we kind of do the the math here, we're we're talking about roughly, just roughly, about $350,000 in our American currency today that the master hands to this servant who gets just the one, just the one talent. And so he, he's handing that to him, and, and there's something kind of amazing about that sense when, when you start to think about what's going on with this servant in, in real time. You know, think about if somebody handed you $350,000, what where your mind would go, what you would be thinking about. They, they hand this to you, and maybe they even tell you. Maybe th- this is a different master. Maybe this person tells you, I don't want you to do anything with this. I want you to go, and I want you to bury it in your backyard. I want you to do nothing at all with it. At least with me, I know that I would bury it in my backyard, and it would haunt me. And I would think to myself about all of the things that could be done with that $350,000 worth of money. And so I looked it up. Even if you sunk it into just sort of an average savings account, which is a terrible, terrible way to, to use this amount of money. Even if you just did that, after a year, you would have $500 that you could get on on return for that. And so you have that sense of of this guy who who doesn't even have the imagination to think through what would this be like if I actually went out and invested this. 
But then you also have the weird thing that goes on with the guys who get the other talents, right? These guys are, are like fantastic venture capitalists. They go out and they double their money. And Jesus just kind of says, oh yeah, well, you know, they, they double their money. That's not normal to receive double back on any kind of investment. And yet, that's what Jesus is setting forth here. Jesus is saying that, that people are given this great amount of money, this kind of crazy amount of money in, in some way in this parable. And that two people, you know, they, they get this amazing return on it. And then one of these people doesn't have the imagination to even think through what it would be like to actually kind of use that money. And Jesus is telling this as a parable. So, so he's not telling this, this as a real story. He's not saying, hey, I knew this master. I, I knew this guy. I knew this guy who doubled his money, or I knew this guy who, who buried the money in his backyard. But rather, he's telling this as a parable. He's telling this as a way for us to grasp something about what the kingdom of God is like. And he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like, it is that people are given great gifts. People are given something amazing. And then they go out and, and they, they double it, or they go out and they don't have the imagination to do anything at all with it. And, and that's kind of where Jesus lays this out. And he, he says, like... It, that, that's what's going on in, in this parable is that um, the, there's these kinds of people in the world and uh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And, and you, you begin to wonder kind of what Jesus is getting at here when, when he's telling this parable. It, it, just sort of like the parable before this when he was talking about the, the ten virgins that uh, you know, some of them had brought extra oil along with them and some of them had not. But the ones that were present, well, well when, when the master showed up, they were allowed into the great feast. And here you have this seemingly cautionary tale. Jesus ends the cautionary tales with this bit about being thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he's, you know, he's saying, don't be like this person. And, and you kind of wonder, like, hey, okay, how, how, would, how would I get to be that person? Because I, I don't want to be like the person who's given one talent. I don't want to be like that, that person. And, and we, we start to think through all of the possible things that could have been the intent of this person who gets the one one talent, you know, may, maybe his intent, maybe his motivation was, was fear. May, maybe he he actually did think, you know, if if I went to the banks, uh, I could invest this, I, I and and then I could I could get a little bit of interest off of it, and and yet the. He doesn't do it, and and you know may, maybe he's afraid that, that the banks are going to go under. They, there wasn't such a thing as FDIC insured at that point. 
And maybe he, he does think, well, maybe I can go out and I can trade with this like my other buddies, but maybe he's afraid that he's going to lose this amount of money somehow. And he's actually going to show up to the master with less than what he's been given. And maybe he's just kind of lazy. Maybe he doesn't want to be bothered with the work that would be involved with any of those things. And unfortunately, we don't know what his motivations are. But we kind of know what our motivations are. And we kind of know what talents we've been given. We kind of know the great gifts that, that we've had deposited into our accounts in order to go and to use. And we kind of know those things that we are just leaving sort of untouched and buried in our backyards. And so maybe the important thing here isn't the motivation of the man with the one talent, but the important thing here is the application of that man to us. As we think about what those one talent things might be for us and as as we think, okay, what am I not using and why am I not using that? And uh, rather than putting some blame on this guy who has uh, obviously not done a good job, this guy who obviously is the cash at cash register at McDonald's who's just forking over the $4 and not questioning the Big Mac inside of the milkshake cup. Maybe there's something there for us. Some application of the law there. But as I said, I ended this reading with the way that we end all of the gospel readings around here, which is this is the gospel of the Lord. And so we're kind of wondering, well, what, what is the gospel here? How is this not just something where it points out my sins and my failures and the things that I have done wrong or the things that I maybe am afraid that I will do wrong? And that's in terms of the risk. You see, the interesting thing here is that these people in this story are not risking anything of their own. You know, they, there's sort of this identification that we have with it, right? We, we go, well, that guy, he, he owns the, the five talents, he owns the ten talents, he owns the two talents, he owns the one talent, but... In reality, he doesn't own anything. And, and that's proven by the fact that when the master returns, he says, you gave me five and here's five back. He doesn't own the five. He doesn't own that five. He doesn't own the ten altogether. He just says, this is what you've given me. This is what you have given me to play with. This is what you have given me to imagine with. This is what you have given me in order that I might know that I have something of value and that that thing of value is not me, that I get to go out and I get to play with these things that are given to me.
And so in many ways, when, when we hear about the talents, the way that we should understand that in terms of understanding this parable is that the talents are Christ. The talents are Jesus. You have been given Jesus. You have been given someone who has offered himself to be the one who is at risk. Jesus is the one who says, go out and spend me. Go out and spend my righteousness. Go out and spend my reputation. Go out and spend who I am in the world. Don't spend yourself, but rather spend me. And we do. Time and time again. We spend Christ when we're out in the world and people know that we're Christian and, and we do things and people associate him with us. And sometimes those things are investments that bring back glory to him. And other times those are things where we lose a little bit of the investment. And yet the beautiful thing about this is that there is nothing that we can do. There is no risk that we can take with his life that he hasn't already accounted for on the cross. He has paid the full amount of our investment by his life and his death and his resurrection. So may you go out into this week knowing that you have been given a great gift in Christ. And that that great gift is a great gift because it is a prepayment of all of the things that you might risk. So may you go out this week and risk him and risk in his name and see what might come back. Amen.